So let's go ahead and start digging into the uh, development side. And you're one of my favorite guys to follow on Twitter just because you do know the swing, but you've also incorporated that into a team setting, which is what a lot of our listeners are trying to do as well. So start in the fall and, you know, just talk to us about where we should start, what we should be focusing on, and maybe some things that we should be measuring. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Like I said before, we started with a team. So when we were really trying to develop the swing in a team setting, I ran into the same, we ran into the same problems that almost every team coach does. Man, this is great. If I had this kid one-on-one for 20 minutes, I think I could really do some things with him. But now I have 25 guys and we have, you know, an hour and a half to hit. And we, it's just doesn't make any sense to work on this individual skill. So we really stopped and broke it down and said, there's got to be a better way to develop players in a team setting. And, and, uh, what we did was, it didn't make sense. The traditional practice offensive portion of practice, baseball practice didn't make sense. You know, you set up your, your four groups and group one starts live and group two's in the cages and group three and four are shagging. And then you just rotate every day based on, you know, what group starts where. And so we said, if we want to do something, if we want to actually change some of the movements in these, in these players swings, and we actually want to see some development and success, some success, then we're going to need to actually work on drills and actually work on, you know, movement prep. And, and we all need to be there to be able to, to see that because when the kids, when the, when the group three or whatever was in the cages, I'm throwing BP. And as the main hitting coach, I don't even see what drills are going on over there. Maybe our pitching coach is over there. Maybe nobody's over there. That's when we started with the vitals. And, and for, for us, our vital work is the stuff that's important to the whole. So anything that's vital is the small parts that are important pieces to make up the big picture. And so that's all of our offensive drill work. So we decided that before we went into any live session of BP or whatever, we were going to do our drill work. And we would set aside about 45 minutes or 50 minutes. And every coach and every player would go into the cage. And we would set up kind of like a circuit is the best way I can explain it, you know, on this is we'd set up a, cir- a circuit with the different drills and then each coach would be kind of monitoring a station and we just kind of sometimes freely rotate. Sometimes we'd, you know, have four or five minutes at a station and rotate. But the key to that was every vital session had an objective and every player, as we walked over there, we would have a short five, 10 minute session to make sure they understand what we were trying to accomplish in that vital session. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, hey, we're just trying to hit, and as a team, let's just get better at hitting. That's just too broad when you're talking about individual instruction. We said, hey, you know, the objective of this drill is to accomplish this. The objective of this is to accomplish this. As a whole, here's what we're working on. And and so that's kind of how we set up our our team session in order to make it function for, you know, individual development with, you know, 25 players at a time. and then from that that vital session then we could take it out onto the field and hit live now all of our drill work is done all of our flips all of our prep work our pbc work all that's already done now we're just executing it on the field seeing how it feels seeing how it plays out you know and then as a team coach it was great for our for our head coach because now everybody's there every coach is there every player's there we can do base running we can do some team defense stuff we could turn double plays you know everybody's everybody's all on the field and it, it, it led to a lot of 
positive outcomes for the team. No, I really like that a lot, and I think that that is some great organization. So you talked about the uh, movement before you guys went on, out onto the onto the field. Were these individuals prescribed certain drills based on their needs, or did you just kind of throw them all at them at once and then start to curtail them to their individual styles or whatever? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, in the beginning, in the fall, kind of going back to the, you know answering the second part of that question you asked, you know, how do you start this in the fall? It, it is a little bit generic in the fall as far as, you know, we talk about the meat and potatoes of the swing or kind of the basic four building blocks of how we build the swing. And it's basically four pieces of, of criteria that we really look for that we think that, you know, every elite hitter does and does well. And that's getting into the legs, the load, the rear hip control, number one. Number two, the movement and timing of the load, the upper body load and, and, and the timing of that. So what you're doing with your upper body and your hands and the load and, and, and when you're doing it. Number three, the connection of the swing when the hands, the back hip and the back shoulder are launched together, line up together um, at contact. And then lastly, um, a hand pivot or a hand swivel and what your hands should actually be doing and in, in, in being able to turn the barrel as opposed to pull or push the barrel. So we start in the fall when we first see some of these hitters for the first time, we start going through all of that just as a group. So in the beginning, I don't want to say it's generic, but it is kind of cookie cutter as far as, hey, we want to see how all of these guys hit with an open stance. You know, we want to see how they all load into their rear leg, whether they coil or whether they hinge. And we're learning things every time we do that set of drills. Okay, this this hitter's very successful in this, and this hitter's not very successful. Okay, this hitter's very connected. This hitter doesn't really understand hand pivot. And in going through the beginning stages of that and going through the process as a whole team, now we're starting to be able to see you know, strengths and weaknesses in individual hitters, which in the long run does lead to grouping and does lead to more personalization of the drill sets, um, the objectives for each hitter or small groups. So it is a little bit, hey, we all kind of do the same thing together. We're all learning it together because, you know, the swing, actually launching the swing from a perfect position, really, to me, I don't want to say it's it's simple, but it's it's not as hard as some people make it out to be. It's getting into that position on time that's hard. And understanding it is probably the most difficult part of hitting. So when we go through that whole process, it's a lot of learning and understanding the movements and what they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to feel and what body parts move and where. And so just by going through that, the whole team's kind of learning together and feeling it out, and teaching each other also. And that, yeah, and that then that does lead to you know more of the personalization of the program and the routine and what they're trying to work on. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I I like that approach because you've got you know player X, high school kid who's you know not as successful as he wants to be, but maybe a little bit hesitant to change anything. And so it's it's easy to have that conversation of hey young man are you as successful as you want to be? And they're like, well, uh, you know, I could be more successful. Well, let's try all this stuff out. Let's fit it into your own style. And maybe you take one or two things away from what we're doing and add it to what you're doing to make you a little bit better. So I really like that a lot. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing it does is as they're going home and, and, you know, journaling or taking notes on, on the sessions that we did, now they're taking ownership of their development. They're saying, okay, I was, I'm, I'm really, really good at this drill. I'm really good at, you know, closed off hitting. And, and I really feel good connection when I go to the opposite field when I'm closed off. Well, in the, in the long run, those pieces are going to be vital for their development. And also, when they go and they do a drill, uh, maybe a specific constraint, and they swing and miss the first five times with a hand block wall, now they're starting to say, well, how come, you know, this guy over here and this guy over here are absolutely crushing balls, and I'm swinging and missing at the exact same drill? Mm -hmm. And now that's really eye-opening because... Instead of me saying, Hey, I don't, I don't think your hands pivot very well. That's great. But if they think they do, they're not going to change anything. They don't trust me. They don't believe what I'm saying just yet until they actually get in there and feel some of these constraints. And then they're like, Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. I see exactly what that feels like now. And now I'm understanding that I need to make some of these changes in order to be more successful. So it really gives them ownership of their own development as well. Right. And the use of of your constraint and the use of your, you know, your external cues that we use are really eye-opening to the kids because it's not just, they may have a great relationship with you, but it's not just, here's what I see versus here's what you think's going on. It's, oh man, uh, now I feel it. And then once and, you get them to that point, you win. Yeah. Uh, I, I love constraints for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons is what you just said right there. I mean, how many players that have been really successful players and are really good coaches that can't teach their own kids? Mm -hmm. You know, I've had ex-big leaguers bringing their kids to some of our hitting sessions because they say, well, I know what I know what he's doing wrong, but he just won't listen to me. You know, and that's something that dads and, and you know, sons or daughters run into. And that's why one of the reasons I love constraints and my players love constraints is because now we're on the same team. And now it's not me against you. And I'm telling you what I want to see in your swing. And okay, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. And now you're not trying to fight with them, but there is this battle. You know, my kid's not old enough quite to have that battle yet, but I see it all the time with dads that know what they're doing, but just can't get across to their kid because of that coach versus dad barrier. So with constraints, what the great part about it is, it's no longer me against you and trying to teach this swing. It's me and you against this constraint. And so now we're on the same team and we're trying to accomplish of how do we overcome whatever this constraint is, whether it's a physical constraint or whether it's a mental constraint. How do we get over this while working together and executing the swing the way that we want to do it? So it's, you know, it's no longer, it's no longer me against you. It's, it's us against the constraint. And now we both have ownership of how, how are we going to get across? How are we going to beat this? No, Trent, I'm right there with you. And I can tell you firsthand, being the son of a big leaguer that played with Stargell and Clemente and guys like that, that I didn't listen to my dad either. And looking yeah. back on it, I'm like, God, I was such an idiot. But it's for the dads out there who are having trouble with that. It's not your fault. I mean, it's it's really not. And I don't want to stay on this subject for too long. But don't take it too personal whenever that happens, because I did the same thing. And now looking back, I'm like, God, that's that was I was an idiot. But you know what? 
I mean, it is important to understand the dynamic between that so that you can overcome it because whether it's a dad or a head coach, there's still sometimes those blocks because when a head coach is out there on the field and he's ripping somebody for making a base running mistake and then the next day he goes into the cage and he's trying to help that same hitter with their swing, sometimes there's those blocks that's not going to let that let that hitter listen and trust either that head coach or that hitting coach because of the conversation that was you know completely set aside from this actual hitting instruction but there is some of that actual you know that barrier between either head coaches and and hitters or you know dads and sons so that's why constraints are awesome for that because it, it can really you know build that trust and say okay now we're we're on the same page we're both looking you know, to go in the same direction as far as the swing is concerned. Oh, definitely. I love how you put that. And so I've been trying to take a different approach this year. And like you mentioned, external cues and constraint training and really trying to either come up with a game or try and measure as much as I can. So is there anything important that you've come across that we should be measuring? Well, I don't have a ton of you know, technology and resources working at the high school. You know, we have a pocket radar that we do some initial exit velocities off a of T just to see, you know, some just for some tracking. But long time ago, I read a book. Anson Durant's uh, was the is the head uh, women's soccer coach at North Carolina. Is a legendary coach. He's won awesome. like seven seventeen national championships or something dumb. But one of the things that I got from his book that I read a long time ago was, and I thought this was crazy and brilliant at the same time was in his soccer practices or his soccer training sessions they tracked everything so they tracked every single pass and every single drill and every single shot and they tracked everything and I said well how could how could we do that obviously how could we do that in a baseball setting and so we started tracking BP and we started making it a competition so we chart every single one of our live BP sessions and at the end of the day depending on what we were, what our objective was for that BP session, we'll add up points and we'll actually have a, a winner of BP. So every, almost every one of our BP sessions is competition. Mm-hmm. So when we're in season, maybe we're just trying to, you know, hit balls off the right center field wall. Maybe that's the only objective for that day. Well, you get a point for every time, you know, you hit a ball on a line to right center, or hit a ball over the right center field wall or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, you know, you could see who was successful in that. And that kind of leads you to, hey, okay, maybe we need some more of this, or maybe we need a little bit less of this or whatever it is, but we track everything in BP. And that has been really, really successful for us as coaches, because now we know, you know, where we're going the next day, as far as objectives or the next week is what we want to work on, how our team was successful in those, but also for the individual players, it helps keep them engaged. There's not just, hey, we're doing five rounds of five today and let's just go up there and hit. Okay, you didn't execute that big deal. You know what I mean? Okay, it, that was a, you know, a, a scoreum, you know, runner on third base less than two outs. This is a scoreum round and you were only one for five. Okay, no big deal. Let that go. And now the player has no ownership of whether they were successful or not. So when it comes in game, you know, and you're in the top of the seventh and you need to score that runner from third base there's no ownership to it. You've never held them accountable, but now all of a sudden with everybody watching, 
you know, his teammates relying on him. Now all of a sudden he has to be successful and accountable for it. And he's never been accountable for it um, leading up to that point in time. 